Welcome to Aspen Insight from the Aspen Institute. I'm Zach St. Louis. We're starting the second season of our podcast, and we have so many stories to share about the work our colleagues are doing around America and the world. Today, we have one of those stories, and my esteemed co-host, Marcy Krivenin, is here to take us through it. Hey, Marcy. Hey, Zach. So if you're new to the podcast, we're usually forward-looking, but today I'm going to focus on the past. Okay, I'm intrigued. Well, I want to take us into the 19th century American West. What comes to mind for you when you think about the Old West? Hmm, okay, I think of gunfights and pioneers in covered wagons, maybe some cowboys. Yep, you're not alone. That's what many people think of. But it turns out a lot of Western stories are myths from movies and books. That's what we grew up with. But there's much more to the American West story, and scholars argue understanding that period can help us live better today. In August, with the backdrop of the Central Rocky Mountains, our organization gathered together some of the country's top historians to drill deep into the story of the American West in the 1800s. And I talked with some of them. When she was young, Molly Gloss remembers reading cowboy novels on long car rides. Her family would drive from Oregon to Texas to see relatives. I'm sitting in the back seat of the car reading my cowboy novels as we're driving across the landscape of those novels, nearly all of which were set in the Great Plains, not in the Oregon that I knew. Once, as her family drove near Wyoming's Green River, the book she was reading was set there. That experience at a critical time in my life, I was probably 12, 13, 14, really is the reason why I'm writing about the West now. Gloss is an award-winning novelist and short story writer. She's one of the speakers at the Aspen Institute's American West event. Her books focus on topics not found in Western books on library shelves. They include women lead characters and less violence. Many of us understand the American West through fiction, from Jack Schaefer's 1949 book, Shane, to modern day television series like Deadwood. No law at all in Deadwood. Gold you can scoop from the streams with your bare hands. Gloss says these stories focus on the dark side of the Western myth, but she's working to change that with what she calls a new mythology of the West. What we want to do instead, I think, is create a mythology of adventure, of course, and heroism that includes women and that that doesn't look at problems in such a simplistic way. The history of the West is anything but simple. The 19th century in particular was filled with nuance, subtlety, and novelty, starting with Lewis and Clark and their first contact with Native Americans to decades later when most state boundaries had been drawn. The Aspen Institute hosted this four-day gathering about this historic period and dove into the question, what did we do right and wrong three generations ago that can help us navigate what we're doing right and wrong today? On the event's opening day, dozens of people examined glass-encased exhibits of moccasins from the Sioux and Arapaho tribes, as well as beaded clothing, weapons, and a flute. Standing watch near the back of the room is America's national mammal, a bison, on display. As a military brat, participant Jodie Foster, not the actress, grew up in Oklahoma but moved to the East Coast. 
Now she lives in California. In Aspen, she wants to compare facts with the myths she heard as a child. And I thought this program was great in going a lot more in depth into the histories and I'm hoping to sort of unpack some of those and, and compare sort of fact and fiction. About 100 experts and learners are here at the event. In the distance, tall mountain peaks tower over the small ski town of Aspen. Academics from universities like Weber State, Yale, and Stanford are here, as well as writers and activists. The event is put on by the Institute's Society of Fellows, SOF director Peter Wanders. These are people who have committed themselves to the values-based conversation, the exploration of current events, the promotion of values-based leadership year-round. In two separate events earlier in the summer, this group explored Iran and the rise of hate in the world. The fellows live around the country and contribute to the Institute. They have a desire to learn, but are also advocates for the Institute's mission, which includes promoting civil dialogue on important issues of the day. Wanders says examining what happened in 19th century Western America helps us better talk about today's problems. All of those ideas about immigration, money, financial divide, how land is allocated, frankly the incredible natural beauty they walked into and the first people seeing the Grand Canyon, to how do we dig in the ground and find gold that is going to make us rich? How do we balance you know, conservation, you know, with the extraction of natural resources and the building of an economy. All these issues allow us to talk, not arguing about tariffs and Donald Trump and immigration policy, and talk about those same issues in a way that we can find a common ground and agreement. Back on stage at the event, the scholars say common ground was elusive in the 19th century during the Indian Wars. Before these clashes began, Native Americans lived a long time in the West. The oldest archaeological sites in Colorado are 13,000 years old. When they arrived, Europeans traded with Native Americans, but trade turned to raids during and after the Civil War. East of Aspen, on Colorado's dusty plains, one of the period's worst atrocities happened along Sand Creek. At dawn in 1864, U.S. troops opened fire on Arapaho and Cheyenne living in teepees. Sheldon Spotted Elk's ancestors were there. My great-grandfather, Charles Spotted Elk, Hoish was his Indian name, Cheyenne name. He slept in between his parents on that cold November morning. And the, the cavalry, uh, the, the Colorado Volunteers militias, they came in, they slaughtered over 150 Cheyennes, sleeping Cheyennes on that cold morning. An older family member grabbed his grandfather from the teepee, and the survivors dug into the creek bed. The military burned the village and mutilated the dead. Decades of war followed Sand Creek. Violence was just one piece of the Native American struggle in the 19th century. Spotted Elk, who's an expert in tribal law and child welfare, says U.S. policies led to psychological terror for Native Americans. Where they're told they, were, they weren't good enough, their ceremonies were, were simple, that they weren't, in, they weren't intelligent enough, that they, they weren't good enough parents, that their communities were substandard. Indigenous people were relocated from their ancestral homes to reservations. Children were separated from their families and sent to boarding schools as part of a government-led effort to wipe out Native American culture. We really, as a nation, should be deeply ashamed of where we are at collectively 
regarding our kind of collective understanding of this vital part of our mm -hmm. nation's past. Ned Blackhawk is a professor of history and American studies at Yale. He says this history of warfare, impoverishment, relocation, and resettlement is not well taught in American schools and universities. This lack of understanding creates divides between Native Americans and non-Native Americans. It's the incumbent responsibility of institutions and schools and educational environments to foster awareness and engagement rather than distance and difference. Still, there are bright spots. Mark Trahant is a journalist who writes for Indian Country Today. One of the real success stories has been Native Americans in state government. Academia may not be illuminating Native American stories, but politics is. Trahant says 2018 is a remarkable year. He said this in mid-August. There are now in this country uh, two Native women as nominees for their parties running for Congress and uh, another one possible five uh, Native candidates for lieutenant governor, and there's 50 states, so that's a pretty high percentage. I'll say this is a Cheyenne proverb. I'll, I'll give you this, some hope. I like when people talk about hope. Sheldon Spotted Elk spoke on stage at the American West event. In Cheyenne, it goes, Hoe he hotumona, avisia wustanisto, hotumistum eviswaeth wustanis. And what that means in Cheyenne is that we all go through struggles, all of us. We're all going to go through struggles, some big, some small, and that's not what's going to define us. Actually, overcoming those is what define us. Uh, and so how we, how we confront these challenges, how we deal with our history, how we deal with, with the marginalized of our society, that's going to ultimately defi define our humanity. I, I believe that. The 19th century in the West also saw trading, trapping, mining, farming, the founding of cities and towns, and the emergence of the conservation movement. Just personally, what's your, your fascination with delving into the environment of the American West? Well, I grew up here in the West. I'm a native Western girl. I'm actually a native of uh, the deserts of Arizona. Sarah Dant is a professor at Weber State University. Her focus is environmental history. She says a colossal mistake in the 19th century still has consequences today for places just down the road, like Denver. In 1878, Congress rejected an idea from geologist John Wesley Powell. He found the West couldn't be developed like the East because it lacked water. He suggested building towns only near water. And the idea that somehow we should be limited by our natural environment just flew in the face of sort of gung-ho American can-do spirit. And so Powell got swept to the side and we put people in places where actually there's just no water for them. Las Vegas, Phoenix, even Los Angeles, it, the whole front range here in Colorado. The result, elaborate hydraulic infrastructure where water is literally piped over the mountains and a continued search from growing cities and towns for more. Dant says as the climate warms, problems like a lack of water will grow. She'd like to see the country's elected leaders make environmental decisions based less on politics and more on history. Trying to figure out how we get everybody to think less politically and more humanistically, I think that's really the key because the environment has not always been um, a political issue. On the final day of the event, after lectures about water, wildlife, Native Americans, the Civil War, and the end of the frontier, UCLA professor Stephen Aaron asked the audience, 
what is the purpose of knowing history? Um, is it to celebrate the heroes of the past? Uh, is it to, or is it the reverse of that? Or can we only learn from our mistakes? Is history, and Western history in particular, simply a sort of story of wrongdoings, a march of folly, um, from which we maybe can do better in the future because we try, learn not to repeat those mistakes? Following the talk, I caught up with Rob Itner, a member of the Society of Fellows. So I, I think the big takeaway, I don't think it's that you didn't know it, but you start to realize it a little deeper. But a lot of the conversation revolved around, you know, the myth and the legend of the West that we know through movies and TV shows or books and, you know, the reality of what the West was. The gunfights, brothels, and bank robbers aren't the whole story, he says. The West was a place of promise, opportunity, and utter failure. Itner, who's a restaurant owner, says he also learned about the time and care some Indian tribes took to cultivate corn. Their goal was to nurture their food, he says. Going through some stuff in my life right now, it's bringing that nurture to what we do as opposed to a economic, let's just plant big farms and irrigate them and try to grow, but it's about nurturing things in our life. I've written a novel about a single woman homesteader, about a woman who's breaking horses. Remember novelist Molly Gloss from the top of the show? She says the American West mythology has helped define our culture, but it's not too late to reshape it a bit, so it's more inclusive and compassionate. It starts at conferences like this, she says. By asking people to look more closely at decisions maybe they've made in their lives or assumptions they've made that were unconsciously governed by this mythology. If they consider it, then maybe they can make new assumptions. While the history of 19th century and the American West may be behind us, it seems its myths and lessons continue to permeate our culture, politics, and personal lives. The Aspen Institute Society of Fellows holds events around the country, including San Francisco, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Houston, and Miami. The program was founded in 1964. And that's it for today's show. Throughout the rest of this season, we'll be telling in-depth stories about our work, like the one you just heard. And we'll sit down one-on-one with our in-house experts to understand what's happening in the news and around the world. New episodes will drop the last week of each month. Help us out. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your review helps others find the podcast. And send us your thoughts on Twitter using hashtag Aspen Insight. Aspen Insight is a production of the Aspen Institute, and the Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership in the exchange of ideas. Thanks to our colleagues with the Society of Fellows who programmed and organized the American West event. I'm Marcy Krivenin. And I'm Zach St. Louis. Thanks for listening.